Hello, and welcome to Getting It Done, a podcast about music, education, and life lessons. I'm your host, Tim Rausenberger, and today is Tuesday, February 13th, 2018. This is episode 237, Teaching Positions, Everything You've Always Wanted to Know. Today's episode doesn't happen if I didn't draw inspiration from an amazing conversation I had with one of my former students, Kyle Dubiel. Kyle, if you remember and you've been keeping up with the podcasts, he did a wonderful question-answer session with me for episode 161 where he simply discussed his entire life and his aspirations uh, to become a director in the film industry. Kyle listened to episode 236. I had actually asked him to listen to it to get some feedback. And even though I asked him to listen to the first two or three minutes, he wound up listening to the entire episode. And the reason he was so drawn to it is he didn't understand anything about how substitute teachers get their positions, how they wind up in the schools each day. And he wanted to listen and learn all about not only the fact that substitutes need to deal with bad behavior all the time, but the fact that that they have to wake up at five o'clock in the morning to wait for that phone call and sometimes the phone call never comes. And it got me thinking about all of the things I never knew in my early years as a teacher and the things that I learned even in my later years about so many different teaching positions in the industry. So today, I'm going to tackle as many different types of teaching positions as possible. I'm not going to be able to hit everything, and I'm really not going to get too much into non-instructional staff, only because I don't know as much about that, and when it comes to non-instructional staff, that can be really different and vary from district to district, school to school. Today, we're going to talk about full-time teachers, part-time teachers, substitute teachers, teachers who are leave replacements, and then we're even going to discuss teachers who are coaching or uh, take on clubs or stipended positions. And I'd like to start off with the stipended teachers first. A stipended position in a school uh, by law needs to be posted. It is posted no differently than any other teaching position in a district. And for the sake of the the rest of the podcast, I'm just going to refer to everything as district rather than school. The The podcast today is going to focus on each of these five entities and all of the things that go along with the position. The salary is a tough thing to discuss 
because salaries are so different from state to state. So I'm not going to get too much into the salary. What I will tell you about salaries in terms of stipended positions, almost always you need to complete the entire term of the stipended position and then you are paid at the very end when it's determined that you have completed the work satisfactorily. Now, in some cases, if let's say the stipend is $5,000 for a particular position, some districts at the halfway point will give you half of the salary. But generally in the positions that I've had over the years, that stipend tends to come at the next pay period that teachers are paid in the, the district. In almost every district, there are two pay periods, the 15th of the month and the last working day or business day of the month. And what I mean by that is, let's say the 29th is a Friday and then the 30th or the 31st falls on a weekend, you would get paid on the 29th. Uh, if you're heading into uh, a break, such as uh, uh, the holiday break, the winter break in December, and your last working day before you come back for the new year is the 22nd, you're paid on the 22nd. So in December, you'd be paid on the 15th and the 22nd. The, it generally says in the wording of the stipend when you are going to be paid, but if it doesn't, that's a good question to ask. Stipends do not come with any types of benefits. I've never heard of such a thing before. Uh, usually stipends, uh, the districts tend to favor people who are within the school district, which can be good and can be bad at the same time. Because you can sometimes, uh, I'll take for an exam example, marching band, where I've been a marching band director before, and there have been people out there who have been fantastic candidates, maybe to fill an assistant band director or a percussion position or a color guard instructor. And some of them have been terrific. And there might be perhaps an English teacher at the high, high school or a math teacher or someone in the district who's not even related to music, but they may have an interest in the position. As long as they're qualified, they often will have the advantage with the position. Now, that all depends on the administration you're working with. Some administrations want the very best person and they're not going to give the nod to the person who's working in the district, but that's usually not the case. Generally, that person will have a little bit of an advantage. So if you ever wonder sometimes why you didn't get the position, that's probably a big reason, especially if you're going for a position that might be uh, very, very individualized. For instance, chess club advisor. Let's say there's only one person in charge of that club and you are an international grandmaster but someone in the school who is a, a full-time instructor is interested in the position, they're probably going to get it over you. 
doesn't matter about your acumen unless the school is really, really super serious about that chess club uh, going for pie-in-the-sky uh, aspirations and they're looking for uh, great placements at tournaments and things of that nature. So though that's basically the gist of the stipended uh, positions. Again, you apply very, very similar to uh, current positions. Uh, from what I've seen lately, uh, the trend seems to be, I know, AppleTrack, the, the online uh, application service that's used by most school districts across the country, they will advertise their stipended positions on there. One other important thing, very, very important, never think because you have been in a specific position for a long, long time that you are guaranteed to have that position. I have known many situations over the years where someone might be an advisor, might be a coach who's been in a position for 12 years. There's when it comes to stipended positions, there's no such thing as tenure. Tenure is reserved for full-time instructors. We'll get to that in just a bit. But when it comes to stipended positions, now granted, if you've been a long-time coach, usually the administration doesn't do a wholesale change unless they really do want to go in that direction. If you've had several years in a row where your record as a football coach has been two and nine, that's probably going to be a little problematic and they may want to move in a different direction. It doesn't mean you're going to lose your job in the school, but you may not be the football coach or you may not even be associated with the program in any way moving forward. So I think that wraps up most of the questions that you may have about stipended positions. Uh, you can get a stipended position being a complete and total outsider, just know that people who work within a school district, regardless of their status, full-time, part-time, whatever, they usually get a little bit of a nod and an advantage over you. Okay, let's move now to uh, leave replacement positions. Now, most leave replacement positions tend to be full-time. A lot of people who are working part-time are probably working part-time for very specific reasons. A lot of people take a part-time position because they might be someone who wants to have time to spend with their family. They may have another uh, position outside of education. It might be a full-time position. Or they may work part-time in that particular school district and work part-time in another district altogether. So when it comes to leave replacement positions, most of them tend to be full-time positions. But this is where people get tripped up when they apply for leave replacement positions and are expecting certain things and those don't necessarily come to fruition. One of the things about leave replacement positions is that the descriptions are not always the best by school districts. Some districts are really crystal clear with stating what the parameters are for the leave replacement position. But here has been my experience with leave replacements that I've done and I've known others to do. 
generally with a leave replacement position, let's say that you're going to be in the position for two months. You're going to be substituting for someone for two months and it's going to be on a full-time basis. You are going to assume all of the full-time responsibilities, not including stipends, not including stipends, but all the full-time duties associated with that position. And you'll take over whatever your starting day is, that's when you'll take over. In some situations, the district may have you shadow. What that means is you would come in for one or two or three days and watch the teacher who is going to be going out on the leave so you can see them in action, you get an idea of the classes, get to meet some of the students and the staff members. Some districts require it, some don't. Some districts pay you to come in and shadow, some don't. What I would say in terms of anything relating to shadowing, if they don't mention it to you, request it. I think you'd be really foolish to not go in for a day or two and get acclimated with the person who you're taking over for. And you wanna do this for many reasons. First of all, the person who you're taking over for may or may not have been involved in the hiring process for that position. I am starting to see a trend in schools where that person is not involved in the hiring process at all, which is can be perceived as being unfair, but it is what it is. So it gives that, that person an opportunity to meet you understand and realize that you're not a complete and total nut job and that you're going to be able to take care of the classes and the students and for the the teacher to be able to have a sense of relief knowing that everything is going to be in good hands it gives you the option to be able to ask the questions right away to that person and here's the reason for that if i am on a leave there's a reason I'm on a leave. It, m m a lot of times it's because the teacher is expecting a child, and this can be maternity leave, but there's also paternity leave. And when people go out on leave for whatever reason it is, whether it's related to that or medical or family, they don't wanna be bothered. They don't wanna be bothered at home. They're on leave and they really want to be left alone. Even if a teacher says to you, the leave replacement, they say, call me for anything if you have any questions. I would really try not to do that. Respect their privacy. I would even say something like that. It's something that people will appreciate hearing. Uh, but I think the only condition would be if someone says, absolutely make sure you're staying in touch with me. I care about my program so much, yada, yada, yada. All right, so when it comes to the leave replacement position, you want to, if you're gonna be shadowing for that day, you want to come up with lots of different questions. What are the questions that you need to know for that temporary amount of time? Here are some things that you want to ask the teacher that you're going to be replacing. First of all, is there a specific seating arrangement? Is there a seating chart? You want to know 
what the procedures are for any types of evacuations or drills in the building. Because when you're leaving the room, the most important thing is you want to know if you need to go to the left or to the right or straight. You need to know exactly where that exit is. Your classroom might, or the classroom you're going to be in, might have a very, very specific way that they need to go for the drills. You don't want to be clueless. You want to, as best as you can, in the time that you're going to be there, you want to be the adult and not have to be relying on the children for everything. You want to ask things relating to lesson plans. Have the lesson plans already been created or do I have to create the lesson plans? How much flexibility do I have? Do you want me to do things specifically the way you've been doing them or can I incorporate some of my own strengths? The experience I've had as teachers have been really, really good about that. I haven't met any teacher actually who said, no, you must absolutely do things the way that I am saying and they're, they're difficult. I don't really encounter that too much. Now, the teacher should also hopefully have a list for you of some of these things as well, but other things that you're going to want to know, where's the bathroom? You don't want to be looking around all over the school. You may, and more importantly, tied into that has to do with keys and fobs entering the building. A lot of times, substitute teachers of any kind, leave replacements or subs, do not have fobs, the special keys that we need to enter the building from the outside. A lot of times they need to buzz in. At this point, I think all of our schools across America do have some type of situation in which you need to uh, buzz into or or use some type of card uh, to gain entry into the building. You need to know if there are any doors that you cannot use for exits or you cannot use for entrances. Uh, a lot of schools now, unfortunately with all the school shootings, they've become a lot more strict about, about specific entrances and exits. And you should not expect that the administrator is going to tell you everything. They'll tell you a lot of things, but if you come prepared with the questions, that's going to help. You need to ask about copies. Are you able to make the copies? Some schools don't allow that. Some schools do. And if you do need to make copies on the machine, wherever it's located, is there a specific code that needs to be entered? These seem like such mundane and basic things, but you really want to know this because the things that I've described are things that you really need to know uh, in a pinch. You need to have those answers right away. Being a leave replacement teacher is very, very challenging. And the thing is that you, what you can't forget is you're not just a substitute. You're not there for one day. You're going to be with these students for a while. And you need to simply assume the role of full-time teacher as if the teacher's never going to return. And in some situations, that's been the case. Where the teacher is leaving, they're going out on leave, and that's just a formality. And they're probably not going to tell you that they're not returning at all. And if you do a great job in that leave replacement position, you're going to be an odds-on favorite when they interview, and they will interview for the position if it does open up.
Now, one important item associated with that. If you're a leave replacement, let's say you're a leave replacement for one year, school districts generally do not give you credit for that year in terms of tenure and in terms of pension. So if you are living in a state where you are able to get tenure after X number of years, three years, four years, or you are you're in a situation where you have a pension, a lot of times the leave replacement year does not qualify. In the leave replacements I've done over the course of my career, none of it uh, uh, qualified for my actual uh, teaching. So that's, for my teaching, that is uh, the, the longevity of my career in terms of the, the pension. Uh, so that's, that's a really important thing to know, an important thing to ask and to keep in mind uh, as you're going along. So that's the leave replacement information. Uh, be a good soldier. Uh, do everything you can to be involved. Again, think in terms of, I'm not here for the short term, treat it as if you're going to be there for the next 20 years. Try to fit in with the staff. Make sure you're at all the staff meetings, whether you're required to be or not required to be. Just act like you're one of one of them. And uh, you can make a really, really great impression and it can open some wonderful doors because if you're only going to be there for a month or two months or three months, one of the most important things you're going to want to walk out of there with is a nice reference letter, nice letter of recommendation from your administrator. That's key. Okay, uh, in terms of part-time teachers, now part-time teachers, uh, one thing about most part-time teachers, similar to leave replacement teachers, there are no benefits. Now, the leave replacement teacher may start off and may actually stay at a daily salary of $100 a day. In some cases with a leave replacement teacher, that will change. You could start off $100 a day and then you're, you're going to be paid per diem at usually at step one on the salary guide. So you're going to be, in the state of New Jersey, you're probably going to be making uh, anywhere from about $225 to $250 a day. It's some nice money. It, it, it really is some nice money, and it's certainly a heck of a lot better than a lot of other jobs you could potentially take out there, even though you don't have the benefits. Now, being part-time, that's the same. Uh, the only thing with the part-time position is unless they change your schedule and they start adding classes and modify your contract during the course of the year, your salary is going to remain the same throughout the year. You're not paid per diem. You're not paid per day. At least I'm not familiar with any part-time positions where that's the case. Rather, they take the percentage of the salary, which a full-time teacher would be 1.0, and if you see a part-time position and it says 0.5, that means that you are working exactly half the uh, contractual obligation of a half the time of a full-time teacher. Now, 
this is where things can get very, very interesting. I worked a, a part-time position a long, long time ago, early in my career. And with that part-time position, I was not required to attend faculty meetings, but my schedule was extremely wacky. So wacky because they actually were a school that did block scheduling before it became really, really popular like it is today. And it was, it was, I didn't realize how, how much of an, an albatross that schedule was going to be around my neck because when I took the position, uh, in addition to, of course, not having benefits, I wound up with a schedule that was so wacky, I actually couldn't get a part-time job anywhere else uh, during the course of the day. Now, in the evening, I was able to be a cashier at a, a place, but I couldn't take on another teaching position between normal school hours, which was very unfortunate. Uh, the one perk of the position, again, uh, was I didn't need to attend any types of faculty meetings. So anything that was special before school or after school, I didn't need to be there. Uh, today, I have found that there are quite a few part-time teachers who do need to attend those faculty meetings. It's not the be-all, end-all. I mean, if you're looking for a position, uh, that's something that's important to know. I think it's good to know, especially, for instance, if you are a mom or a dad out there who's looking for a part-time position, you just want to make some extra money uh, because your partner is bringing home the, the, the main income for the household. If you're in that uh, position and you are doing this because you want the ability to leave at two o'clock every day, so then you can pick up the children or just create a situation where you don't have to be paying for any type of daycare, because we know how expensive that can be. It's very important to be asking this stuff during the uh, hiring process, during the negotiations. I can't stress enough, one of the biggest problems and the biggest mistakes that so many inexperienced young teachers make is they don't ask enough questions during the hiring process. They don't ask questions during the the, the negotiations, during the the offer. These you don't want to be difficult, but you want to know what you're entitled to. And here's why. Once you agree to it, you're stuck with it. You're not going to be able to renegotiate. <laughs> this is not this is not like these star athletes we see where they they sign the three year contract and all of a sudden in their third year uh, they're they've established themselves in their first two years as a premier player in their league. And now in their third year, they've decided they're just going to sit out. And the, the team needs them so badly that they're going to be willing to renegotiate the entire contract. Let me tell you something. In education, that's not going to happen. It's just not. Maybe 20, 25, 30 years ago, you had that most valuable teacher that you didn't want to lose. School districts are only too happy to say... If you decide to give them a hard time, they will be happy to show you the door. <laughs> so you do not want that type of situation. It's really important that you ask 
all these questions, everything I'm saying, even the things I was mentioning about the leave replacement and the stipend positions, these a lot of these questions can also apply to the part-time, to the full-time positions. They're, they're really important questions to ask. Some part-time positions actually qualify for benefits. It depends on the situation, but I have seen some spots where a part-time position might be 0.7. That means seven-tenths of a full-time schedule. And the reason why that's important is they then will take the salary that they've decided for you whatever that salary is usually it's step one on the guide and when i'm talking about these steps a salary guide is such that and and absolutely something you should be asking to to see uh, I wouldn't be asking for it necessarily in your first interview, but as you're moving along, along in the process, it would be a good thing to ask what their salary guide is or the technical name, Collective Bargaining Agreement, the CBA. Once you get that information in front of you, your salary as a part-timer is almost always going to be in the upper left-hand corner. That is step one, bachelors with no additional experience. Now, you might have a master's or you may have worked in other districts for five years. Sometimes they're going to be willing to pay you for that as a part-timer, but not always. And I've known, again, the way that trends have gone in education, those boards of educations, unfortunately, a lot of them are doing everything they can to be paying the absolute minimum to the new teachers because... Right now, in terms of supply and demand, in quite a few states, there are a lot more applicants out there than there are jobs. We know there are other states out there where there are a lot of jobs available and not as many applicants, but unfortunately, a lot of those positions are undesirable in terms of salary and support. A part-timer again, we'll need to have usually at least 0.7 to be able to qualify for any type of benefits. I've even known situations as crazy as it seems where the district will intentionally make the position 0.8 or even 0.9 and still not offer benefits. It's unfortunate. It's reality. It's 2018 (laughs) and that's just the way that it is. Uh, part-time position, you're really not terribly different than the full-time teacher. You have your typical working load, y- workload. You have uh, the same types of responsibilities, expectations in the classroom. Uh, so that's pretty much what a part-timer is going to be doing. Uh, the same thing that I said with the leave replacement applies for the part-timer. And that is that you may have taken this part-time position to catapult to something else. Uh, I worked in a district once where they had a part-time music position and it was unfortunate because it was like this rotating door. They kept on making the the position was part-time, part-time, and they just kept on changing staff every year because what what happened was the staff members were taking the position it was did not pay well 
Uh, there were no benefits, and a lot, and actually not a lot, but every single applicant was using it as a uh, a launching pad to try to catapult them to another position elsewhere, something that was going to be more sustainable, uh, going to be a full-time position with benefits. So when it comes to being a part-time teacher, not that you want to do a poor job in any position, but again, a really critical uh, piece of the puzzle, again, is doing a great job and securing that uh, that that letter of reference, that letter of recommendation, uh, I think that that's just just too important, way too important. Now, with all that said, with all that said, we want to now take a look at the full time position. Now, the full time position in any school district. From everything that I've seen anyway, the full-time position has benefits that are offered. And I want to speak about the benefits first, because benefits have become a major point of contention when it comes to uh, teaching in general. Uh, the mantra for the longest time and what people believe was the case for the longest, actually I don't believe was the case, it actually was the case for the longest time, was that teachers would accept lousy salaries because we got great benefits. And it really was true. Uh, I never realized exactly how great my benefits were. Oh my goodness, it must have been at least a good seven or eight years before it really hit home why people were so jealous of my benefits. Uh, the fact that I don't think I ever paid for most of my teaching career, I don't think I ever had any type of co-payment which exceeded $15. More often than not, it was about $10. And I think it started to hit home when I would go to, to, to appointments and I would see these people uh, seeing specialists or seeing primary doctors and shelling out $40, $50. And I was saying to myself, wow, I, I never realized how great my benefits were. I just, I think, assumed that was the case for everyone. The reason why there's so, there's so much um, animosity going on right now in, in the teaching profession and just in the world of education right now is uh, is because the benefits, the, the cost of um, everything relating to medical and dental and just health costs and health care, uh, it, it's just skyrocketed and it's gotten to be out of control. The districts are doing everything they can, uh, but the reality of the situation is it's really, really expensive. So here's a question that you're going to want to ask. Let's say you are someone who is married, you're, you're with a partner, and that person works full-time somewhere else. And they have good benefits. They have the type of benefits that cover the entire household. What some school districts will allow the full-time employee to do, and this would be their very first year, in, in the district will allow the employee in instead of taking their benefits, they will actually take, I don't know what the term is, but it's like a payout or it's like a bonus where instead of taking the benefits that might cost the school district a lot, well, let's just say a lot of money, five figures, 
instead of the district having to be responsible for paying part uh, for, for those benefits, what they will do is they will actually pay you to not take the benefits. And you might be getting a check at the end of the year for as little as $2,000. I've known situations where people have gotten three, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars $7,000 for simply not taking that. Uh, I do know that in the state of New Jersey, there have been some districts, I don't know if it's all districts now because I'm not married, so I don't know that situation, but uh, there have been some districts where there were people who were doing that, where there were, were two teachers married to each other, and they took that away. Now, I don't know if it was because it was two teachers married to each other. I don't know what the what it was, but you need to be aware of that. And it's something, again, that you want to ask uh, during the hiring process. Again, don't wait until afterward. Be very, very clear. Have those, these, you need these questions answered so when you are sitting down and processing the offer that you it received from the district, you're not going to have three weeks to mull things over. You're going to have a window of time to accept the offer. And you want to have as many of those questions answered without having to contact them and be a pain in the neck. So in terms of benefits, that's the first thing that you want to know. Second thing is ask about their benefits. Ask them what's covered. Ask them for all of the information relating to their health benefits. It varies from district to district. Now, I don't know how it is from other state, uh, in other states. There are some right-to-work states where uh, it could be that the health coverage is the same for practically everyone. But I know that in New Jersey, every school district has a, a, a different type of thing. Uh, for instance, you may be in a situation where you want to see a specialist, but you have to get a referral from your primary care physician. You might be in a situation where you need a special procedure done and you have to pay $25 for that surgical procedure. Uh, I had a, a situation where I just needed to get some routine blood work and I walked in and there was no copay. I didn't need to pay anything at all. So every situation is a little different. It, ask the questions. And if you're only 22, 23 years old, you're a rookie teacher, you need to ask your, your parents, you need to ask other people who are in the profession, people who have been working, who are a part of the workforce about these types of things relating to benefits. They'll be able to help you. They'll be, they'll be able to educate you on the types of things you're going to need to know. Uh, something like, uh, if you have a bad back and you need to see a chiropractor, there are districts that cover that. There are districts who just don't. I have even had uh, wonderful situations where uh, even uh, massage therapy and chiropractic care has been covered at very little to no cost. And of course, the other big one that you want to ask about, dental. What is the dental plan like? Dental plans uh, on a whole are lousy everywhere. They're not any better when it comes to teaching, but again, worth asking. I've had districts where I've worked where you only get two cleanings a year that are paid for, uh, but the cleanings went towards the amount of money 
that you were able that was part of your deductible for the year and there were other situations where I got three cleanings uh, some situations the two cleanings weren't part of the deductible and the, the situation where I'm at now where I'm working I have three cleanings per year and they do not apply in any way to the deductible so it's these again are the questions that you you need to answer that, that you need answered that you need to know as a full-time teacher you're obviously going to be working the full school year you need to know up front what are all of your responsibilities going to be outside of school hours find out about how many evenings you're required to come in every school district at least in the public schools has requirements on evenings or days that teachers are required to come in beyond their typical contractual uh, school day hours. It might be four nights that you need to come in and they're already predetermined for you because they might be parent-teacher conferences. It might be a graduation. There are other situations where you might have five nights you need to come in, three of them are predetermined, and then two of them you need to pick from a list where you sign up to come in to chaperone a dance. You come in to assist with whatever special event is going on in the school. Uh, this is stuff that a lot of full-time teachers are not aware of. If I'm a full-time teacher, I'm in my first year, I'm attending everything. You want to be everywhere. I think one of the biggest mistakes that a lot of full-time teachers make, part-time teachers make, leave replacement teachers make, I'll even go so far to say even people who are stipended, you need to be involved in your school districts. You need to show them that you are committed to the students. You are committed to everything progressing within the school. You need to be everywhere because you never know when that person, that important person is going to be there and they see you. I've attended events before and it's helped me move up in the ranks strictly because I helped out at a music concert because I chaperoned a dance. There was a situation where an assistant superintendent shocked all of us and they showed up to the dance and saw me there, saw me actively in, engaged in everything that was going on and I was setting up at the beginning and I was sweeping up at the end. This is the stuff that's not lost on a lot of people. So you need to be involved. You need to be a team player. You don't want to be spending every single moment that you work in the school in your classroom the whole time. And I really direct that to a lot of music teachers. Uh, I've been guilty of it myself, where you are so bogged down with work, you're stuck in your, in your classroom. I encourage you, even if it's for 15, 20 minutes a day, get out of the room, just go take a walk. If you can get out of the building, get a little bit of fresh air, it's going to do you good. It's gonna clear your mind. 
you can pass by some classrooms, maybe say hello to a few teachers, say hi to a few of the kids, students you may not even know. Uh, swing by the cafeteria. It's one of my favorite places to go. I love going to the cafeteria. I love seeing kids in that element because that's one of their favorite parts of the day is lunch or recess or the morning duty, the afternoon duty for for busing, uh, playground duty. These things are important, even if they're not part of your actual Uh, time commitment. You don't want to come off as being snooty in any way, like a been there, done that type of attitude. There are too many people in the profession that, that act that way. Now, with that said, as a full-time teacher, in most elementary schools, let's say there are eight quote-unquote teaching periods for the day. There are a lot of elementary schools that are now at one, two, eight uh, periods a day. There are actually quite a few uh, where that's, that's been the case. And if you have one to eight teaching periods, you will be teaching six of them. One of the periods is a prep period and one is a lunch period. So one is for you to be able to eat your lunch. Every situation that I've known, you're able to leave the building. Uh, The problem with a lot of districts, though, is that it may be very difficult for you to find your parking space if you do decide to actually leave the premises and you don't want to be late coming back from lunch. I really haven't left the premises too often for my lunch period because there's the time of getting the food in your possession. Now you're having to scarf it down. You can't be late coming back. And here's one other thing, and this is really, really important, and all teachers should be hearing this, but especially new teachers. If you have that wonderful situation where your prep period and your lunch period are back-to-back, they're not a giant lunch period. In other words, if you have a prep period, that's not lunch. You're not supposed to be leaving the school during that time at all, unless you have permission from your administrator. Now, there are some schools that are a little more lenient with that, but most of them aren't. If you, it's your prep period, that is the designated time as per your contract where you are supposed to be working very specifically on tasks related to your position. You're supposed to be grading tests. You're supposed to be working on your assignments. You're working on seating charts. You're inputting grades. You're double checking your attendance. You're doing whatever needs to be done within your classroom. It's planning time. And there are some people that don't look at it that way. They see the prep period, if especially if it's bunched up uh, next to their lunch period, or even worse, it's a totally separate part of their schedule where they just start, they just leave the building. Don't do that. Don't put yourself in that, in that type of position unless you have been granted permission. Um, lesson plans. Lesson plans are an essential part for of every uh, full-time teacher. Uh, This is also the case with part-time teachers, and uh, there are some leave replacement teachers that also will be required to do lesson plans, especially if they're going to be in that capacity for a while. Stipended teachers 
usually not with stipended teachers. You are going to be filling out, uh, usually you're going to be filling out some type of of evaluation at the end uh, that then gets submitted to to, uh, the human resources, payroll department, whatever administration, uh, just so they can have a record of what's going on. Uh, lesson plans. You're going to want to know uh, during the hiring process, what is their model? What do they use? Is there a specific uh, type of lesson plan that the district believes in using? Uh, you want to make sure that you know how the lesson plans are supposed to be submitted and when the deadlines are. Uh, a lot of lesson plans now are submitted by... Uh, a specific portal or a program online. Um, There are some administrators that do require you to email them directly. Uh, Others will require you to drop them into a, a, a drive that's in the network. Now, this is important because this was something I ran into an issue with several years ago when they first went into a drive format where the lesson plans got dropped into a drive. And I actually never liked it only because my lesson plans were actually visible to everyone. Everyone's lesson plans were visible to everyone because it was one gigantic drive where we all dropped our lesson plans. Here was the thing I didn't realize. You couldn't access that drive from home. So if you're one of those people who does their lesson plans at home and then you're going to submit them electronically, you couldn't do it from home. Because the drive could only be accessed uh, through the school. So these, again, are the important things you want to know. You might have an administrator who wants the lesson plans on paper and submitted into their their mailbox. Uh, So that's uh, that's key as well. As a full-time teacher, a part-time teacher, and again, any of these other... uh, 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 positions, there's going to be some type of handbook. You're going to want to read it from cover to cover. So you know everything relating to the the handbook. Uh, There is a specific teacher handbook that every school has. And by the way, don't lose it. (laughs) If something happens in the handbook throughout the course of the year, make sure you have... Uh, get a new copy or something. Few things aggravate administrators and office people more than the end of the school year when they are so crazy trying to wrap everything up and they're trying to get report cards out and tidy everything up. And then you walk in and you don't have your teacher handbook. It's just as bad as losing a key or anything else. So make sure that you keep it in a nice safe place. It should be in school at all times. You want to read it from cover to cover so you know every, anything and everything about all of the expectations for you as a teacher so there are no discrepancies at all. So heaven forbid you're being asked to do something which is out of, out of line, not part of your contract, something that's completely absurd, and it has happened. It's happened to practically every person I've ever known in education. You're able to pull up the teacher handbook. You're able to go to the appropriate person and say, well, this isn't part of my responsibility. I, you know, I could do maybe this one time. That, that's up to you, what you, however you decide to handle that. But it's important for you to know uh, what's in that handbook and what is required of teachers. 
you, you always come out looking better if you know those answers rather than constantly having to rely on perhaps someone in your union or having to go to an administrator. The, the key thing I think that every teacher needs to be reminded over and over and over and over and over you need to keep administrator questions to a minimum. Because in this day and age, administrators are more busy, have more paperwork, have more on their plate, more expectations than ever before. In a lot of schools, the amount of material and the number of things that the average administrator has to do should really be divided up to at least one and a half administrators, if not two. You will just rarely see administrators just hanging out in their office, doing nothing all day. It's just so rare. They're so, uh, they're so, oh, a lot of them are so overwhelmed, which also leads me to my next point with these types of questions, pick your spots. If you see your, your administrator running around like crazy because something's going on. That's not the time to be asking something about the handbook. That's something that can wait. And you do that at a later time. In terms of being a full-time employee, uh, the number of school days that students are required to attend, at least in the state of New Jersey, is 180 school days. However, boards of education are now asking for teachers to work days in addition to those 180 days. Now, most teacher contracts, at least in the state of New Jersey anyway, run from September 1st to June 30th. This is the reason why your school year is not starting in August. This is the reason why if you have a, a bevy of school days, like this year where we're being hit with snow and lousy weather and you live in one of those types of states where you're exceeding the number of snow days that have been implemented in the calendar, or maybe you don't have any snow days at all, which are part of the uh, the school calendar for the year, this is the reason why you will not be going past June 30th. This is the reason why days from your spring break may be subtracted. It's possible you may be asked to come in on a Saturday. And here's the thing. When it comes to that, there are very, very few administrators and boards of education that are going to be forgiving. Because what they also include, usually in the handbook and as part of the calendar, but and sometimes it might even be a past practice thing that you may not even know about. Now I'm going to tell you. If you're a first-year teacher or you're someone who doesn't have tenure, you're early on, I wouldn't make any types of plans to be going away for any of the breaks. Now, the winter break, that would be the holiday break from the end of December to New Year's. That one's a little bit safer. But any of these other breaks that occur in February, the ones related to President's Weekend, where you might even have the entire week off, or your spring recess, don't make plans. I wouldn't make any plans whatsoever beyond perhaps day trips that could be postponed or maybe two or three days away that are part of the weekend. And here is why. If you are 
an inexperienced teacher, if you are a new teacher, if you're a non-tenured teacher, and they decide that they're going to hold school for, let's say, a spring break, Monday through Friday, they've decided that Thursday and Friday they're going to hold school now to make up days that were lost due to inclement weather, you need to be there. If you call out sick on those days, they're going to probably require a little bit more than a doctor note. And I've even known of situations where they've checked with the doctor. You don't want to be playing that game where you're calling out sick and just assuming that you're going to be able to get get off without any issue. And I wouldn't even consider taking a personal day of any kind. It's really stunning to me when I look at some of the new teachers out there. And I understand that you're entitled to X number of sick days and X number of personal days, but it doesn't mean you use them all in your first year of teaching. If you're out of school 11 days of the school year, what is that telling the people in the school district? It's telling them a lot of different things. One, that you're not there often, which means you're not the main teacher in the classroom. Number two, it might be that you're telling them that this job is not really that important to you. And you can come up with all the excuses you want about having post-nasal drip and you still have a cold and and your tummy is bothering you a little. All, the, all those types of things, after a while, it starts to become that you're, I don't want to say a liability, but it becomes to be it becomes a bit of a pain for the administrator constantly be having to get a substitute for you the reason you were hired there is because there's something special about you there's something special that you bring to the table and that really goes for part time as well and certainly as a leave replacement you don't want to be missing days of school you want to be there you want to be that person who's early to school And I wouldn't necessarily say you have to stay late. Uh, One of the mistakes that I made for too long is that I I stayed late. And I'm I'm not talking about staying a half hour, an hour afterwards. I'm talking about staying three to four hours afterwards. The reality of the situation is my recommendation would be if you do stay late, don't do it very often. Try to bring, if you have to bring the work uh, outside of school hours, bring it home Uh, my excuse had always been that I had the copy machine available to me and I had my band or chorus library. I had my resources available and it was very quiet and that's all, that's, that's fine, but you don't want situations where an administrator is starting to become fishy as to why you're there until eight o'clock at night. You don't want anything in their mind, heaven forbid something is missing from the school and it's in an area where there there isn't any camera surveillance or anything, uh, I, I would, my recommendation would be you don't want to be bolting out the door if you can avoid it and don't leave early. Do not leave early. If you, you're, 
contractually obligated to stay there at whatever time. Don't even think about it. You can leave at the time of, but don't leave early. Don't sign out early or anything like that because uh, all it takes is a micromanaging administrator and they're going to be catching on to you real quick. And the next thing you know, they're going to start watching and paper trails are going to start and that's not going to be a fun situation for anyone. Okay, so in terms of your full-time teaching position, we talked about the 180-plus days. You might be required to be there 187 days. And to what all I have to say to that is, that's life. Uh, I think that there are teachers, unfortunately, who... uh, I mean, what there are a lot of different words we can use, but... A lot of them have been enabled. A lot of them are divas. A lot of them think that they are owed the world. You're not. The reality of teachers, if you get right down to it, you are working in a position where if you are a full-time, part-time, leave replacement, stipend teacher, you're working only 10 months of the year. That's it. You're not working 12 months. You're not working 11 months. You're working 10 months a year. You're being paid like a 12-month employee, or so they say. Now, the other thing with that in terms of pay schedule, because that's something I failed to mention, there are some school districts who actually do offer a 12-month option. So if you're worried about not receiving income over the summer, there are some districts that will actually allow you to set up your agreement right at the beginning of the year where you will continue to receive money over the summer. So they're just going to level out the, the paychecks. Obviously, you're not going to be getting as much per paycheck, but at least the it uh, if you have or somebody who has some issues with uh, with spending and you have some issues with having controls over your funds, uh, this is a good thing to do. Uh, I don't know many teachers that do that. A lot of them want the money right away and they just work whatever uh, jobs they work over the summer. But what am I trying to say here? Uh, I understand having worked for 20 plus years as a public school instructor, it's gotten to be a lot more difficult. The expectations are the highest they've ever been. It is absolutely incredible to me the things that I now need to do now need to do as a teacher in terms of just the evacuation drills alone ha- ha- certainly add to the stress of the day. The paperwork has gotten to be out of control, and just everything that they want from the teachers as well as the behavior of the children, which has become more and more difficult too for lots of different reasons. So with all that said, you're still not going to garner any sympathy from the public. The way, the view of the average uh, Joe Q public is that teachers make more than enough money, have great benefits, and have summers off. You are not going to change that perception, ever. It's never going to change. You can sit there and say, well, yes, but if you tally up the number of hours that I work, yeah, you're right. 
You're absolutely correct. You're not working 40-hour weeks. I've never worked a 40-hour week in my life. I think the least number of hours I've ever worked in my entire teaching career in a week is 50 hours. And I had years where I was easily, easily putting in 80 hours a week. And that's the reason why I say to teachers, don't put, uh, don't work more hours than you need to because you're never going to get paid extra for it. That's all, that's very noble of you if you decide to stay until 8, 9 o'clock at night in school if your school allows you to stay that late. But you're not being paid anything extra for it. So don't believe you are. And one more thing that I certainly, I just want to add before we wrap things up here. Don't do the work of other people in the district. There's nothing wrong with helping a person out if they are um, technologically impaired, I think would be a good way of putting it. But there comes a point where you go from helping the person out to flat out doing your work. And that happened at several points in my career where I was flat out being abused. And I was doing the work of, at one point, not even just one person, but I was doing the work of two other people. I was basically doing the work of three people and I'm not being paid a a dime extra for it. So make sure you're not in that type of position. Um, Always know with anything in the teaching profession, the grass is not always greener elsewhere if you're not happy wherever you're working. But I will tell you this, I've said it in past podcasts and I'm going to say it again and it's worth repeating. Kids are fantastic everywhere. I firmly, absolutely believe that. Children can be different depending on whether you're working in an urban, suburban, or rural setting. Kids are going to be different. But in many ways, they're all the same. And It doesn't matter where I've worked. Every place where I've worked, the children, the students have been wonderful. It's what you make of the position. I've been in suburban environments where the children have been angels. Absolutely no disciplinary issues of any kind from start to finish throughout the entire school year. The model perfect kids in the class. And I consider the same model children, the ones that I teach in an urban setting where today, where each day is a challenge. Each day is difficult in some way, but I love it. I love it. I love being able to help them with their challenges. And I go home at the end of the day, exhausted but the children are great. And I think a lot of people will say, well, I don't want to leave my kids. Well, I don't want to leave the community. I can assure you that if you're not happy working somewhere, that there is, there, there is going to be another school that might be a better fit for you. But with that said, this doesn't mean that things are going to start to disappear. If you had to do lesson plans in one school district, you're going to have to do them in another. The way you need to submit them might be a little bit different. Now, if you have a, a an administrator who is a micromanager and is driving you and everyone else crazy, then perhaps it's 
best to move on. If you have an administrator who's completely and totally incompetent and you don't enjoy working for that type of person, it's time to move on. I hope that this information has been helpful in terms of uh, all of the different types of teachers, teaching positions out there. Uh, I think Kyle said it best. I never knew what substitute teachers had to do. And I went through it in the last podcast, which is why I'm not really going through it in details today. Uh, for this podcast, you can, you can listen to it in, in episode 236. But when it comes to teachers, there's so much information, excuse, excuse me, so much information the public does not know. But there's so much information that the teachers themselves don't know. And colleges sometimes do an amazing job of educating, but a lot of them don't. And teachers come out and they do their interviews and they're so happy to get the job, but then they don't realize all the responsibilities that come with it. And this today's episode is there to help you and to guide you in that way. Uh, reach out to people. You can always uh, find me in so many different places, whether it be on Twitter. Uh, you can drop me an email uh, and contact me through brasstenor.com. Uh, the podcasts, of course, are found on iTunes, SoundCloud, and now Podchaser, where I'm very happy to say that Podchaser, we are climbing up the ranks as being one of the top-rated podcasts on there. I thank you all so very much for that. I appreciate the feedback. Please keep leaving reviews. The more you do that, the better I am able to get my message out to others when the podcast comes up as one of the highest uh, reviewed out there. Thanks as always for tuning in and uh, happy teaching.